Just curious, any uh, Cardinal fans out here today? Whoa, wow. <laughs> Seems kind of interesting to ask that and then say we're in our series, not a fan. But uh, <laughs> I remember when I was a kid, I was in junior high at the time, and we were going to go to Six Flags uh, for the first time. We'd, we'd never been there before. They'd only been open a year or two. And so my brother and I, we were excited. We are excited. We got up early. We packed the coolers. We got the car loaded. And we were about a half hour ahead of schedule. And we planned on being the first people in line at Six Flags that day. So we left Springfield. We picked up my uh, Aunt Vanessa and my Uncle Randy, who were, they were just a couple years older than me. And so Randy, when we got down to St. Louis... Because he had been before, he became the navigator. And so he was calling out directions to my dad. He'd go, turn right here. And he's like, we're going to stay on this road for a little while. And so at one point, my dad asked him, he says, does this look familiar to you? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I I think I remember that. Yeah, I remember that station there. And so about an hour later, we're on the same highway. We haven't turned. Dad goes, are you sure we're on the right road? And Randy said, I think so. Now, the word I think should have given us a clue, but it didn't. So we kept going. And finally, we see a sign that says, next exit, Boonville. My, <laughs> some of you know, my, my uncle goes, I don't think I remember seeing that town. My brother got excited. He loved Daniel Boone, so he thought maybe we were going to get to see something about Daniel Boone. But anyway, we we pulled over. We got directions. We were 140 miles off course. That was further than Springfield down. So (laughs) we got back in the car, heading the right direction. Very, very quiet ride. We finally got to Six Flags about mid-afternoon. Yeah, that's what I still bothers me. (laughs) And I I wish I could tell you that was the last time that I was ever lost or got on the wrong road. But it wasn't. The other night I was driving on 255 and phone rang and Cindy said, Honey, I just called and I wanted you to know that I was listening to the radio, and there's somebody driving the wrong way on 255. And I go, well, what's worse than you think? There are hundreds of people going the wrong way, you know? It's like... (laughs) That didn't happen, by the way. (laughs) How many of you use GPS? All right. GPS is a great thing most of the time. But sometimes people follow the GPS and it it puts them in danger. In fact, there's been a real increase in people like driving down the railroad tracks. And I'm thinking, okay, is that just a common sense thing? But they they go, I'm following the GPS. You know, people have driven into buildings, into lakes, into rivers. Uh, They get on closed roads. Uh, People have driven off bridges that no longer exist. They're, They're no longer there. Because they thought they were heading in the right direction, but they weren't. Costly, costly mistakes. About a year ago, there was a guy, he was following his navigation system, him and a buddy, and they ended up in a reservoir. 
And it cost him his life. Wrong roads. There's a story told in Luke 7. It's about two people that are on two very different roads when they meet Jesus. One of the guys' name is Simon. Simon is a Pharisee. Simon invites Jesus to his house for dinner. Now, when Jesus arrives, the custom in that day would have been for the owner of the home, in this case it's Simon, for them to greet the guest with a kiss. That would have been custom. The custom would have been if uh, someone was your, your equal, you'd give them a kiss on the cheek. If they were honored or you considered them to be of, you know, kind of an honored guest, you'd kiss their hand. Simon does neither of these things. In fact, he just skips the kiss. It also was a custom in that day that you would wash people's feet when they came to your home. And at the very least, you would have a servant or someone else at the door to wash the feet of your guests. Jesus, his feet go unwashed that evening. Also, if you were an honored guest, and Jesus would have been, you were to anoint their head with oil. Uh, Inexpensive olive oil. But it was kind of refreshing. I, you know, closest I can think is like giving somebody a moisturizer or something to kind of freshen up. Jesus doesn't have any of these things done when he shows up. Jesus was an invited guest. He should have been treated like an honored guest. But honestly, he's not treated like a guest at all in this situation. The fact is, uh, it'd be kind of like me inviting you over to my home, go, why don't you come over for dinner? And so you arrive at my house, you ring the doorbell, and I don't come to the door and answer it. And so finally, you open the door, you show yourself in, and then I don't say hi to you, I don't say anything. In fact, I just ignore you the rest of the evening. That's what happened to Jesus, now, I kind of wonder, when I read the story, maybe Simon really didn't want to invite Jesus over. Maybe it was an obligatory invite. Have you ever done that? Like, invite the family over? Mm-hmm. Some of you are going, I can't believe he said that. Some of you are going, yeah, I've thought about it a few times. But I, I wonder if that's not what happened. But the fact is, He invites, maybe didn't think Jesus would accept, but Jesus does. What I do know is that evening that there was probably tension in the air. Things are uncomfortable that evening. And they're going to get more uncomfortable as the story unfolds. See, Jesus is the invited guest. But he's not wanted. But right in the middle of dinner, an uninvited guest will show up. In fact, a woman that everyone knew about her sins, most theologians believe that it was probably a prostitute. She had probably heard Jesus preach and teach, and so she figured out that Jesus was going to be at the house. And she crashes the party. Scripture says this, Luke 7, verse 37, 38. 
She brought perfumed oil in a, in a vase made of alabaster. It was probably a necklace of some sort. Standing behind him at his feet and crying, she began to wet his feet with her tears. She wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured the oil on them. This woman falls at Jesus' feet. She starts crying. And the tears are hitting his feet, and she begins to dry his feet with her hair. She takes the vial from around her neck. She breaks it and puts the oil. She's kissing his feet, and she anoints his feet with oil. Okay? I don't think that was her plan out of the gate. I don't think she arrived there thinking, hey, this is what I'm going to do. And I would guess that she was surprised when she realized Jesus' feet hadn't been washed. What I can guarantee you, everyone in the room was focused on what was happening. It was scandalous in that day. Now, I want to hit the pause button. And I want you to kind of keep that image of this woman at Jesus' feet, kissing his feet and washing his feet and anointing it with oil. I want you to kind of let that sink in. And what I want to talk about today is intimacy. I want to talk about intimacy. Not sure, have you ever realized babies cry? How many of you know that? (laughs) It is the main way that babies communicate, isn't it? That's how they let you know when they need something. What do they do? They, They cry. I mean, that's how they communicate. When my grandkids were little, they'd start crying. And I'll be honest with you, it took me a while to figure it out. You know, I'd, I'd pick them up and see if that would do it. I'd rock them. I would give them a binky. And if they were still crying, then I would check them. And then I'd go, Cindy, I think your granddaughter wants you. <laughs> but for me, it was a process of elimination. I just had to go through it. Cindy usually could figure it out pretty quick. Absolutely, their mom If she was around, she'd hear him cry. She knew right away. She'd go, oh, she's hungry. Oh, he needs a nap. Oh, Grandpa, your grandson wants you to change him. (laughs) Moms just have a knack, don't they? There's an intuitiveness that that moms have. I'm going to guess part of it comes with just years of practice, but pretty soon it's just a natural thing. And I'm sure you've all been in a room before when a baby's like out of control or in control of the whole room. You know, at first the baby kind of gets fussy and then things elevate. In short order, you've got people passing this baby, this shrieking baby around like it's a hot potato, hoping somebody can figure out the magic touch to get the baby to settle down. And mom, mom will walk in the room and even the voice of mom the baby will calm a little bit, and then mom takes the baby. You got peace. Thank you, mom. You know. It's an intimate relationship, isn't it? 
It's knowing, being completely known. That's the picture of intimacy. It's something that you have to see or experience to really understand it. I mean, I I could read you a definition of intimacy. I could explain the history of the word. I could tell you how it's used in a sentence. But there's a difference, isn't there, between defining intimacy and experiencing it. Friends, God knows you. He knows you intimately. The the best uh, biblical word for intimacy is the word know. K-N-O-W, know. No, it's first used in relationship. First time in Genesis 4.1. It says, now Adam knew Eve, his wife. And I know some of you, as you read that, you're thinking... Well, sure, he knew Eve. He was married to her, right? I mean, I would imagine he knew her pretty well. Weren't they the only two people on the planet? So who else were they going to know? I mean, right? But Adam knew Eve. Think love is in the air, all right? Because the word know is yada. Yada. That's what it is in the Hebrew. To know to be known completely. I I like what uh, the NIV translation kind of clears things up. It puts it in the context of what's happening. It says, Adam made love to his wife Eve. Get the picture? That's the context of yada. It kind of gives a different bent to yada, 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 right? (laughs) Connecting. Adam and Eve are connecting on every level to know and to be known. It's that sexual intimacy. That is the the picture of something very, very sacred. And you first read about it in Genesis 4. First read about that kind of intimacy and it's not, it's not about sexual pleasure. It's not about procreation. Because if it were, they would have used a different Hebrew word. There's another Hebrew word that would fit better. But here, it's about intimately connecting on every level possible. And you've got to get that kind of in your mind. Because that's what God's going to talk to us about. Having that kind of relationship. You ever, you ever watch people at a restaurant? How many of you are people watchers? I'm a, I'm a people watcher. You can tell a lot about people at a restaurant, can't you? Like if you've got a couple, they're, they're having dinner, and they're talking on their cell phones, they're texting, they're watching TV, and they're not connecting. Let's say at least they're preoccupied. But I kind of look at that situation I think they're there having dinner but they're not really there in some cases I would bet they don't really want to be there and then you'll you'll see a couple and they may be newlyweds or or they're dating or something and and they're sitting there maybe sitting on the same side of the booth and they're talking and they're touching, and they're holding hands, and they're laughing, and they're having fun. The food comes. They don't care. They don't care because they're connecting. They're, they're having dinner. 
but that's not their focus. They're in a crowded restaurant, but they don't even realize it. Why? Because they're dialed in to one another. That's all that matters to them. I love, uh, everybody loves Raymond. And uh, Ray and his, his wife, Deborah, they're, they're kind of watching, actually they're spying on Ray's mom and dad. They're watching them through the, through the window. And Ray's mom and dad, Marie and Frank, they're, they're eating dinner. And they do not say one word to one another. But it's, it's interesting because as they're watching, Frank, he, he like looks up for a moment. She hands him the salt shaker. Marie looks up. He passes the butter. He finishes drinking his milk, and she starts refilling his glass, and it's great because he looks up, and she only fills it halfway. And Ray goes, this is sad. That's really sad. And Deborah goes, I think it's kind of sweet. To, to know each other so well that you don't even need words. Connecting, connecting. Yada. To know. To be known. I think we understand that kind of intimacy. But here's the challenge, and this is where it seems strange, is that if you trace that word yada throughout the Old Testament, you find it is the very word that is used to describe the kind of relationship that God wants with you. God wants that kind of relationship, yada. God wants to know you, and he wants to be known by you. Yada. The connection between a husband and wife is the same connection that God wants with you and me. And friends, I think when you can grasp that, it is a relational game changer. It will change your spiritual life. It will change your walk as a Christian. I mean, how would you describe your relationship with God? Sitting at the table? But not really there? You know, preoccupied? Not really connecting? Maybe just fulfilling an obligation? Maybe a casual encounter? Weekend fling? Friends, God wants yada. A deep knowing, an intimacy. You know, David uses the word yada a lot through the Psalms, but in Psalms 139... One through four, he says, Oh Lord, you've examined my heart and know everything about me. You know, when I sit down or stand up, you know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel, when I'm at rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. Yada, 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 yada. David is describing an intimacy with God, that God knows him. David's saying, God, you know how I feel. You know what's bothering me. You know my hurts. You know what I'm worried about today. You know what I'm thinking. You know me, you know me, you know me. And friends, God wants to know you, wants to know you. And God also wants you to know him. 
As hard as it is to grasp that the creator of this universe knows me and knows you, he knows every little detail of our life, nothing gets by God, I find it amazing that God also wants me to know him, wants a relationship, that God kind of opens his heart completely to to you and me, that he wants us to know him better than we know anyone else, period. Holy, deeply, regularly. That's the relationship God wants with you. In other words, not a a once-a-week casual thing, not a weekend fling. Hey, see you on Sunday morning. He wants a relationship, yada. Day by day, moment by moment, deep, vulnerable, open, connecting relationship. And I know as I'm talking, there are some of you going, that's a bit much. I'm just not comfortable with a relationship like that. I really prefer to keep things at arm's length. I keep people at arm's length. I'm going to keep God there. I don't want anyone to really know me that well. And you know what we do? is we start putting up walls. We, we wear a lot of masks. We pretend. Why do we do that? So we can avoid the intimacy. I mean, if we're honest, it scares us just a bit. The, the, the fact is, those fears keep things at a distance. We keep God at a distance because it's safe. We're afraid to, to be vulnerable. And I, and I think sometimes it's because of our, our past. You know, we've maybe been betrayed by someone. You know, maybe been hurt. Someone let you down or used you or used something that you told them. And they just burned you with it. And so th- this idea of God opening up to us, it's kind of scary, isn't it? Maybe afraid uh, what God will find out, you know, something you're not proud of. You know, I think about the the woman that fell at Jesus' feet in Luke 7 that we were talking about earlier. I mean, apparently, she had a sin that everybody knew. And apparently, it wasn't pretty. In fact, Scripture, it's kind of... uh, says that the community looked down on her. They had disdain. She, she was held in disdain by the community. She was fully aware of her sin. She's broken. And she's ashamed. And when you read the story, you sense her awareness of her own unworthiness as she approaches Jesus. She just throws herself at his feet. Friends, I want to tell you, we have all fallen short. We are all sin-marred. And we are all unworthy. God already knows all of it. God already knows the stuff you're covering up, the stuff you're hiding, The stuff, this is what I find interesting, the stuff we're afraid that God will find out. That we think somehow by avoiding dealing with God, that that, that awkwardness, that, that pain of being known fully, 
that somehow we're going to avoid it. And I just want to go, he already knows. He already knows it. And what happens as we open ourselves up to God, we become aware of more things that bring shame and that need to go in our life, things that need to, to change because God wants the very, very best for us, that he loves us. He goes, okay, we've got to get rid of this stuff. And you just, you realize it. Friends, when God knows you intimately, when you open yourself up that way, there's so much to be gained taking that step. You find that God will always love you, that God will always be there with you through all things. You know, he'll see you through whatever pain or whatever struggles, whatever situation you're in. He will never leave you or abandon you. You find that the Holy Spirit takes up residency in your life and begins to guide you, to to work in you, to strengthen you, to give you discernment in life. That's the kind of relationship that happens when you get intimate with God. Yada. Yada. Fans. Fans like knowledge. They choose knowledge. Followers choose a relationship, intimacy with God. I think it's one of the struggles in the church today. You know, we we create these systems in church that are focused on learning. Now, do not misunderstand me. I think learning is vital. It's important. But it is not the end all. The fact is, if you focus on learning and you focus on knowledge, if that's just your focus, you're kind of like Simon, kind of like the Pharisees in Scripture. The, the fact is, the default in most of us, it easily becomes about knowledge instead of intimacy with God, instead of a relationship with God. The, the fact is, uh, you look at how we do things. You know, a lot of Christians, we love to get in Bible studies. Again, it's a good thing. But we get in Bible studies, we want people, what, to teach us. We fill out workbooks, we answer questions. I know a lot of pastors, that, that's what you get on Sunday morning. They just regurgitate what they've studied, what they've learned. It's more like a lecture or a class. I remember being very troubled when I first got in school, I was studying for ministry. I was working on my BA, and it was the same when I did my master's work and my doctorate work. I took all these classes, I studied hard. But we studied God, and we studied theology, and exegesis, and history, and psychology, and Christology, and eschatology, and leadership, and Greek, and Hebrew, and on and on. I studied all this stuff. But you know what? there was something very mysteriously missing from that education. And that was relationship with God. Never talked about in school. Thankfully, I had mentors that kept pressing me. That's what's important, David. That's what's important. We do it with our kids. Memorize verses. Bible trivia competitions. Get praised for what you know. Again, focuses on education instead of relationship. Again, do not misunderstand me. 
Bible studies, vital. Learning is important. We absolutely should be doing it on a regular basis, studying God's word and learning God's word. There's value in that. Jesus regularly, he referenced scripture. He would read and quote long pieces of the Old Testament. He showed a deep understanding of scripture. You could tell it was proof that he had studied hard. But knowledge, friends, it's not the same thing as a relationship. Many of you know I'm a Steeler fan, right? No. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I know all about the Steelers. I know the history from 1933 forward. You know, I know the year that uh, we wore green was when went to war and connected with the Eagles for a season. You know, I, I know how many Super Bowls they've won and which ones. You know, Super Bowl 9, 10, 13, 14, 40, and 43. Six Super Bowls, most in the NFL, by the way. Knew I had to work that in. I, I have been to Heinz Field. I got architectural drawings of the stadium signed by the people that put it together. I own jerseys. I have a terrible towel. I got stadium replicas of uh, Three River Stadium. I've got collector pieces, autograph helmets, hats, pictures, guys like Bradshaw, Bettis, and Palomalo, Roethlisberger, and Ward. I mean, I could go on and on and on. And some of you right now, you're going, wow, he knows the Steelers. Well, here's the reality. None of them know my name. None of them are coming to Thanksgiving dinner. The closest I can get is I sat next to Jerome Bettis' mom, dad, and brother at a game when I was in Kansas City. I don't have a relationship. I just know a lot about them. I'm a Steeler fan. But that's it. And here's what I'm driving at. Don't let a knowledge, what you know, replace a relationship because, friends, it's not the same thing. And I, again, I think this happens by default because when it comes to knowledge, it's easier to manage. It's easier to test it. It's easier to keep God at a distance if you just know about him. You know, it's either easier to say, I know all about Jesus But friends, I want to say that doesn't mean much if you don't know Jesus Christ. Yada. He wants to know you. Simon. Simon is a Pharisee. He knew scripture. He knew it well. He knew about God. He knew about Jesus. He knew Jesus' teaching. I think once Jesus was heading to the house, he thought, well, at least I can learn something. He thought he could learn a little bit more. If you read the the whole story, Simon calls Jesus teacher because he wanted to learn something. Thought he could learn a little bit more, but he wasn't interested in knowing Jesus. That's very apparent. You know, Simon sees this woman. She's at Jesus' feet. Her actions, embarrassing. She falls at his feet, 
She's washing his feet with her tears. She undoes her hair and lets it down, which that would have just been off the chart in that day. She's kissing his feet. She's anointing his feet with oil. Very, very uncomfortable display of intimacy. Yada. Luke 7, 39 says, when the Pharisee, talking about Simon, saw this, he said to himself, if this man really were a prophet, he would know who this woman is who is touching him. He would know what kind of sinful life she lives. Simon says this to himself. Jesus, because Jesus knows at all, he knew what Simon was thinking. And he addresses it. In fact, he would address Simon and would teach for a bit. And I'd encourage you to read the seventh chapter, seventh chapter of Luke this week, to read it, make it your devotional piece. But basically, he, Jesus turns to Simon and says, Simon, you, you invited me to your home? You invited me here. I'm supposed to be your guest. I I arrive, and you did not give me a kiss. This woman, she has not stopped kissing my feet. Simon, you, you didn't even wash my feet when I got here. And this woman is washing my feet with her tears in her hair. You didn't give me oil for my face. She has poured expensive oil on my feet. Simon, you don't get it, do you? Everybody's watching. Everybody's zeroed in. They're mesmerized. And Jesus turns his attention from Simon to the woman. He says, you're forgiven. Go in peace. Simon invited Jesus to his home for dinner. Simon thought he could get a little more knowledge in his life. He didn't want to know Jesus. He wanted to keep things shallow. And Simon defines the relationship by not kissing Jesus, by not washing his feet, by not anointing his head with oil, But this woman, she just opens herself up to Jesus. She made herself vulnerable. She didn't care what everybody else thought. She just wanted to know him. She wanted to know him. She wanted to be known. Jesus wants intimacy in a relationship with you. Yada. Friends, that's where you find forgiveness. It's something that only a follower can experience. When you just say, I'm yours. Know me. I want to know you. It's all that matters. You know, I would challenge you to see if that's the kind of experience you're having in your life. Because that's the kind of relationship that God wants with you.
Let's bow in a word of prayer. Our holy God, God, we praise you. God, we we're in awe that you really want an intimate relationship with us. You want to know us. You want us to know you. God, I pray that when we study, when we spend time in your word, when we're reading or whatever, that we'd remember that's not the end all. It helps. But what's most important is that we have a relationship with you. God, create in us a new heart. Keep us on the right road. God, I thank you for that amazing relationship. Amazing love. God, I pray that we keep you as the focus. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.